Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. Did you know that the great God describes himself as jealous? This is in Exodus 20, verse 5. He says, I, the eternal your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Quite a chilling verse there, Exodus 20, verse 5. And it shows that the things we do today really can impact generations that come after us for better or in this case for worse. God absolutely hates when we put anything ahead of him. This is here at the start of the Ten Commandments. God listed off these commandments to ancient Israel. And these commandments did come with a variety of warnings, like the one I just read. Let's just go back to the start of the chapter, Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the eternal your God, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down yourself to them nor serve them. And then it goes on to say what I said before. And then verse six, notice the other half of it and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So you have the curses for disobedience, even curses that can last for generations because God is a jealous God, but he's also a merciful God to those who keep the commandments. God is merciful. It is fascinating though, that at the start of the Ten Commandments, God reminded Israel why he should be put first. He is the one who brought them out of Egypt after 430 years of slavery. He did that. No one else. No one else deserves the credit. God used Moses but even Moses didn't want to do that job. Even Moses needed to have a spokesman, Aaron. God is the one who worked the miracles, the plagues that absolutely devastated Egypt. And so he does deserve to be put first. Anciently and today, God brings us out of Egypt today as well. He frees us from the sins that so easily ensnare us and ensnare the world. He's the only way we can get free of all that. 
And he says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. The second commandment is against idolatry. So it's, it's basically reinforcing the first commandment. It's expounding on the first commandment. And it's talking about the way we ought to worship the almighty God. And if you go on, you, you see even the third and fourth commandments talking about not taking God's name in vain, keeping the Sabbath day. God says he doesn't even want us to speak his name out of place. He says to keep his name out of our mouths if we're going to use his name disrespectfully. And that even applies to the way we live. If we bring dishonor to God's name by the way we live, that's another way of taking God's name in vain. The Sabbath day command, the fourth command is about dedicating an entire day out of every single week to worshiping God. So it's pretty clear. God expects us to put him first, to place him at the peak, the pinnacle of our lives. And he is a jealous God. This is from our free booklet, The Ten Commandments. You can get yourself a free copy at thetrumpet.com. Page 20 has a subtitle, uh, Cling to God. The first commandment requires that we diligently seek after God, it says. It's talking about cleaving to God, clinging to God, adhering to him, pursuing hard. The Ten Commandments book states, it is similar to clinging to a mate or a beloved family member. To cling to God is to desire to spend lots of time with him. Clinging to God means doing those things that please him. If we truly love God, we will pursue hard after him. That is the way we ought to interact with God every day. Thinking about God, talking to God, making it a regular part of our lives. When we go out, when we come in, when we walk around, when we drive somewhere, just talking to God, spending time on our knees in prayer, studying the Bible because that's his way of talking to us. And always remembering that God is a jealous God. And it really is God versus everybody. God will all out attack and demolish every other God in our lives. That is inevitable. <laughs> it's either we accept his help in tearing down our idols or at some point he does it for us. And we really don't want to choose that second option because that's, that, that's where we get into a 10 plagues situation. The Egyptians had all of their gods exposed as total frauds and fakes, their gods were torn down in a way that absolutely annihilated the entire nation. This is an awesome article from 
the Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology. And you can also find it on the Watch Jerusalem website, I believe. WatchJerusalem.co.il and then ArmstrongInstitute.org. This article is titled Against All the Gods of Egypt. It's by Christopher Eames. And it is really some astounding stuff. Exodus 12 verse 12 says, Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So when we think about the Exodus account, when we think about Israel enslaved and then God bringing them out of Egypt, generally we're thinking about Pharaoh needing to be humbled. The Egyptians who mercilessly beat and abused the Israelite slaves needing to be corrected. But did you realize how much the 10, the 10 plagues were also for the benefit of Israel? How Israel also had to receive correction and learn a lesson that way? After all, Israel had become pagan during this time. As Christopher Eames shows, Exodus 2 verse 23 talks about Israel crying out to any God they could think of for deliverance. They weren't crying out to the one true God. They were talking about any type of God in the entire Egyptian pantheon of thousands of gods, hoping that any one of those gods might hear them and set them free. They didn't even remember what day of the week the Sabbath was. They completely lost track of time. They worshiped the gods of Egypt. And so God had to teach his own nation through the plagues, not just Egypt, but Israel too. Christopher Eames reminds us here in this article against all the gods of Egypt that Israel had to go through the first three plagues too. Egypt suffered all 10 plagues, but Israel suffered the first three plagues right along with them because they needed it. And they had to learn the lesson of Exodus 3 verse 14, where God said, I am that I am. God is who he is. God is who he always will be. He is absolute, unchanging. If he's jealous yesterday, he's jealous today. And he's totally justified in being jealous. God created us. He expects us to remember that and put him first. And if we don't, he has every right to be jealous. I am that I am. That's what God says. We have to remember that. And God has the power to crush the mightiest civilization on earth and expose thousands of false gods like he did to Egypt. As Christopher Eames points out in this article, again, you can find it at armstronginstitute.org. 
Also, watchjerusalem.co.il against all the gods of Egypt. Every single plague that God unleashed on Egypt was a targeted attack against Egypt's many false gods. Now, before the 10 plagues, God sent a message in the form of uh, Moses and Aaron's rod turning into a snake and then eating the rods turned snakes of Pharaoh's magicians. And now a snake eating other snakes is really symbolic in Egypt, or at least it was back at this time around 3,500 years ago. And it really shows who is in charge. I think we can understand that even without under, without knowing all of the background of their religion. If one snake eats multiple snakes, it's pretty obvious which one's in charge. But the Egyptians really would have been rocked by this symbol. One snake eating other snakes. Then it gets into all these devastating plagues that exposed the Egyptian false gods. The water from the Nile River turned into blood. Now, the magicians were able to replicate this plague, but they also couldn't stop it. They couldn't turn the blood back into water. So the nation still had to suffer without clean water. And then it turned into frogs, which was deeply symbolic frogs pouring out of the Nile river, covering the ground infesting every house and frogs were a symbol of childbirth and resurrection. And that recalls the fact that Pharaoh ordered all Israelite newborn males be drowned in the Nile. So this same river where probably thousands and thousands of, of little Israelite baby boys were drowned. These frogs came pouring out. It was like a resurrection coming out of the Nile River. These frogs, these symbols of childbirth and resurrection coming back to haunt the Egyptians who so brutally drowned Israelite baby boys. Do you think God had a real reason for every one of these plagues? Do you think God had a little bit of jealousy in mind? Maybe some vengeance? And do you think perhaps God is justified to feel that way? The third plague was dust turning into lice. And it really could have been any type of parasite or pest that digs into the skin. 
but this was an attack on Egyptian priests, the keepers of the false religion who went to extremes to keep themselves pure. Egyptian priests would remove their eyebrows and eyelashes so those could not host parasites. And isn't it ironic that pagan priests are trying so hard to keep pure while they essentially worship the devil? So this would have been just absolutely atrocious to the Egyptians to be infested with lice like this. The fourth pl plague was swarms. So it could have been flies or beetles buzzing around so thick they were like clouds blocking out the sun pretty much. And they basically devoured the Egyptians. Painful bites from all these swarms of insects. And once again, Egyptian gods, one of which was depicted with the head of a beetle, were under attack. God was attacking the Egyptian gods. He was against all the gods of Egypt. He was against everybody. Sometimes God is on a mission to humble people. And he's pushed to do that so much of the time because we're so stubborn. We think we know the way, and yet God has a better way. And sometimes we have to be shown that the hard way. The fifth plague on Egypt was death of the livestock. The Egyptians essentially worshiped their cattle. And they also thought that the way that Israelites raised cattle was an abomination. You can see that in Genesis chapter 46. But whose cattle died? Was it the Israelite cattle raised in an abominable way, according to the Egyptians? Well, no, it was the Egyptian cattle. Those are the ones that died, striking a blow again at the heart of Egypt's pagan religion. The sixth plague is pretty interesting because it was an attack on the false god of medicine. The sixth plague, boils. So painful, itching, burning blisters and bumps all over their bodies. And this exposed all the Egyptian gods of healing and medicine like Isis and Sekhmet, Thoth, Nephthys, all the gods of health, all the deified doctors were exposed. And how badly do we need to expose the false god of medicine today? When doctors become celebrities who just go on TV and give interviews all the time. And somehow we're just supposed to believe everything they say and make massive changes to society every time they give a new interview. People worship doctors. They put all their faith in doctors. 
Never mind that doctors cause over a quarter of a million deaths just here in the U.S. every single year. Now, say what you will about trusting in God for healing, but one thing is for certain, God never accidentally kills somebody. God never bungles his way into causing human death. He has a purpose for letting some die, for healing others. And regardless of who dies and who doesn't, everyone will be given another chance in a resurrection. But God makes no mistakes. God doesn't accidentally kill people. And the fact is doctors quite often do. Not, not every time. And there are sometimes uses for them. But to put our undying trust in them when they could literally cause us to die, that doesn't really make sense. And so the Egyptian false god of medicine had to be exposed. Number seven was hail and fire. Fire on the ground, fire from the sky, hail from the sky, hail and fire mixed in the sky, destroying everything. And this was an attack on Egyptian beliefs in the afterlife. They thought that a body being burned or bludgeoned beyond repair would take away their chances of reaching the afterlife. A body had to be properly, successfully mummified or embalmed for that person to go to the afterlife. So how could, how could the the body go to the afterlife or the person go to the afterlife if the body was decimated. Now, during a couple of these plagues, Pharaoh was forced to admit that God, the one true God reigns. The God who says, I am that I am is really in charge. Pharaoh had to confess this for those plagues to go away. But every single time he made that confession and the plague would disappear, he would change his mind again. And then another plague would have to come. The eighth plague was locusts. This was an attack on the Egyptian crop gods like Nepper, Nepri, Heneb, and this was a real threat of starvation. Pharaoh even acknowledged that he had sinned against God and he begged for forgiveness. The ninth plague was darkness, three days of darkness, an assault on the most powerful Egyptian God of all the sun God, Ra. Meanwhile, the Israelites were basking in the sunlight. They didn't stumble through the darkness so thick that you could feel it. They had sunlight. Now, all of this is explained in detail in this excellent article against all the gods of Egypt. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. 
But the 10th plague was against Pharaoh and everyone else, it says. So this is where all the Egyptian firstborn were slaughtered overnight. Remember, that's what Pharaoh commanded to be done to all the Israelite baby boys. So there is vengeance here. God remembers when leaders commit grave injustices. And even if it takes time, he will strike back. He will get recompense. So this was a night of wailing and mourning in Egypt. The firstborns were prized possessions among the Egyptians and really among many cultures. But this was also an attack on Pharaoh's family because they were supposedly nearly immortals. And yet even the Egyptian Pharaoh's family experienced this plague of losing the firstborn. So what an incredible example for us of God being a jealous God. Here he was exposing the most powerful civilization in the world, exposing it from top to bottom, exposing every single false God and showing, oh, these gods are absent. They must not be hearing the cries of the Egyptians on this day. Maybe they don't actually have any power to save anybody. You have to wonder what those poor Egyptians must have been thinking as they went through all of this. But what a lesson for us today. And God in his mercy will resurrect all those people and they'll learn the, the true way. Even that stubborn Pharaoh, <laughs> he'll have a chance to learn the true way and actually try it out this time. That's the hope of God's plan. But God is a jealous God, and he is also a merciful God. So that's just something for us to keep in mind in our relationship with God. He sees everything, and he does care. He does care about the way we think about him, the way we interact with him, and whether we have certain things that we put ahead of him. He hates that. And he'll take those things away from us if we don't get rid of them first. Quite the sobering warning. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.